0: Abyss, check. Sharp tonal contrast, check. Similar to Dark Souls, check. Whimsical animation undercut by heavy themes, check. Sounds like a Noclip podcast game. Yeah.
1: yeah. Welcome to Noclip, I'm Chad Rutherland. I'm JJ Artimes. And I'm Andy Cannon. And today, we're going to be talking about Hollow Knight, which was a game that was released in 2017 and developed by Team Cherry. Um, Hollow Knight is... Uh, For all intents and purposes, uh, and by intents and purposes, I mean this line where we talk about what genre it is, Mm -hmm. a Metroidvania game. Uh, But I also feel like Hollow Knight sort of draws from, like, a million different things. Yes. Like, I, I, I find it, I feel like there's a point where you can draw inspiration from stuff so much that the fact that I'm saying that it drew inspiration might just be me cheating a game out of saying it's actually an original concept. (laughs) (laughs) Because (laughs) Hollow Knight really is. Uh, A lot of the things that it puts together are not things that you would expect to see in this genre. And because of that, like, it feels really fresh as compared to other Metroidvanias, which are largely very spiritually connected to Metroid. Like, in a way that is, like just incontrovertible
2: yeah it's a way more action heavy which i until i played this game didn't really realize was a thing that isn't true of most metroidvanias they're more about like exploration or like platforming and
0: uh yeah like metroidvania is generally a description of the progression method of your game it talks about the ways in which you acquire new abilities, right, which can broadly be almost anything in a Metroidvania genre, but mostly movement mm-hmm. that allow you to just go to different areas and access more of them. Uh, but but that that description kind of doesn't explain what you do in the game, which is why you get a lot of Metroidvania structures and a lot of other genres and stuff. Right.
1: Which one's so shocked, like, because Hollow Knight is the game that made me think about it, uh, despite the fact that we've talked about. Multiple Metroid games, plus uh, uh, Ori, and you know we've like I've played several other Metroidvania games, and it's like actually really shocking how close to Metroid a lot of them stay. Yeah, mm-hmm. like they don't like to to venture too far off the beaten path. Yeah, I think, and this was
2: my own kind of interpretation was Team Cherry. I think are was like three guys something like that like you know if dude did most of the game uh they seem like they were like really ambitious and like the kind of people who have like always wanted to make a game and i think if they had like lots of endless resources and money they would have wanted to make like a 3d adventure game right but because they were limited and had to do something 2d they just kind of picked this style and made it work for what they wanted to accomplish if that makes sense. It
0: does. And and they tried pretty hard to make the constraints of, like, a 2D pixel art game still affect the kind of gravity that you'd expect from, like, a dramatic Metroidvania. What I'm referring to—what I'm trying to refer to with that is, like— the moments in Metroidvania games where you'll break into a new environment and, like, kind of take in the gravity of the whole new place that you've found. The, the, the one that always sticks out for me is, like, Vandara Drifts in Metroid Prime, the way you, like, break through a door and you just have this whole big expanse that's completely different than anything else you've seen. Right. Uh, in Hollow Knight, they... It seemed like they were trying to go for similar senses of scale because you are going through this, like, dead civilization. Like, when you first break out of City of Tears and... And there's even a couple of times where you, lo- you you get to look at City of Tears from different angles, right. which is really wa- rare in a 2D game. Like you actually get to see City of Tears from like the perpendicular plane or whatever because of that little lighthouse thing. Yeah. But and and, when, and it it kind of made me jump a little bit. Uh, Because you're seeing that they're like, oh, they're actually trying to represent this place as a 3D space in my mind, even though I don't explore all of the different dimensions of the space.
1: Which is actually, it's it's a really rare thing to see in a 2D game. But ironically, it is sort of easier to do, because you don't actually have to build the locations wrapping around on each other. You can just sort of hand wave it away with the the hand-drawn map that exists. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, So I want to get this out of the way real quick because I know it's going to come up. uh, It just is going to come up. Mm -hmm. Uh, The reason that I know about this game, and I'm not going to swear that this is true from either of you, uh, and it ties into sort of our discussions about inspiration, is that this is one of the games that came out where everyone referred to it as like a Souls-like game game that is like Dark Souls. Um, And... The reason I want to bring it up is because I feel like the things that it draws from Dark Souls are the things that make this game feel so unique even within the like the larger collection of games that are referred to as Souls-likes. Because the things that it draws from Dark Souls are not like an Estus system or like the slow-paced combat. It pulls, like, exploration that actually, like feels like it, you're learning stuff. Yeah, yeah. And also it's like subdued, subtle way of telling a story largely through other people yeah. or it's, other bugs. It's really tonally similar.
0: Yeah. I'll, and, and surprise, surprise. I actually generally like the narrative of this game and the tone that it goes for with that narrative more than something like dark souls because of the levity that the art style adds on moments when you aren't contemplating the like extinction of this race. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, And the
2: story even is just exactly the story of dark souls.
1: I thought it was that it's It's very close. Yeah, It's almost exactly the same. Uh, I did not see the credits of this game. Mm.
2: Uh, just up being upfront. Basically, it's like a it's like an ancient kingdom that's fallen, where like all everyone who used to live in it's basically gone hollow. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, and the hollow knight sealed uh, himself away to like get rid of like some kind of corrupting curse, mm-hmm. and then you are like a pawn that kind of goes through and gains power and kills him and takes his place. Right. Wait, <laughs> wait.
0: What you saw the credits,
2: right, Andy? Yeah, I got two of the endings. In I got to like the boss of the third ending, and it was real hard. And I didn't take the time to beat it. Oh,
0: damn it. Okay, at least you know about the third ending boss. Because uh, I have was, watched all of these, so of course, yeah, I, I'm, I'm aware. If of you that. weren't, you would be incompetent and unworthy of the <laughs> podcast. <laughs> but uh, it, like it, it, it. When you step back. It's like the lore of this game is not Dark Souls, but... No, the
2: lore lore is more unique, but, like, the main story is what I'm talking about.
0: Yeah, especially if you go mainline progression and don't look for a lot of the weird secret stuff that they, they hide right. away all over the place. Uh, but, I mean, you are still essentially, if, if you just go sort of, like, crit path all through the end, you're playing a vague fallen kingdom, which you perpetuate ignorantly. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, through some kind of sealing mechanism. So it, it's still the same in that sense. But it it really did affect me a lot more comparatively, uh, especially the the like the like actual final boss of the game once that final piece sort of came into play. You never really get all the answers to everything, which we might still get later because they're still making DLC for this game. It's only been a year since the game came out. It's, it's not that unusual. The unusual
1: thing is because it's such a small team. Yeah, that's what... It- yeah, is significant about
2: it. Yeah, is it supposed to get, like, an additional DLC pack and then also one where you get to play as Hornet?
0: Really? Yeah. God, God. What, what keeps shocking me up about this, which is kind of strange, because in a, a lot of the ways that we approach discussions about games, this kind of isn't even something that we want to think about. Mm-hmm. It, it, but really, something that I feel like is notable enough in Hollow Knight's cases that it deserves some kind of mention on the podcast is, like, the monetary situation of this game... Like, how did three people make this game, like, from, like, 2,000 Kickstarter starter backers and then charge $15 for it and then release, like, free DLC into, like, the indefinite future? Like, how is that I even mean, a financial thing they can do?
2: It's probably possible, although very difficult to, and time-consuming, to produce something like this without spending that much money.
1: And they might have just gone that route? It depends on how long the game was in production, uh, which you would think the longer the game is in production, the more money it would actually require. But depending on how they went about developing it, this was sort of their, uh, we'll
0: call it a freshman effort, even though it's probably not entirely true. I know that this game is kind of the spiritual successor, not mechanically, but in a a lot of tonal senses, to uh, a game jam game that they tried to make. It was like Hungry Night or something I think is the name of it. That sounds correct though I'm not 100%. Yeah, uh, yeah. But I did read up
1: on this as well. Right. Um but if it's something that they had been working on over like a long period of time uh while you know maintaining day jobs.
2: Yeah, I was going to say yeah, they probably would have needed to use the money to like I think they hired somebody to do the music or something like they hired a couple people to do a couple things. They hired then, somebody to
1: do a good job on the music.
2: Yeah, yeah, the composer
0: is one of the three guys. Oh, it is. So never yeah. mind then.
2: Uh, they, but I know they did hire some other people to do some stuff. Yeah, and then they probably paid to like license an engine, and that's probably they might have just not paid anybody
0: else anything. <laughs> It's just shocking to think that something like this is even possible. And you hear so much about, like, the incredible burdens of modern game development, right. financially speaking, and how how much the, the financial incentives of modern development have, like, pushed out middlemen. But, like, this is not a game I would describe as corner-cutting in any way. This game repeatedly shocked me at how much was still left there for me to find, mm-hmm. of which, which like... I need. I just. I just want an explanation. Like this, just seems like <laughs> one little like counter argument to like like this same narrative that I've heard about like the oppressive games industry, like the oppressive game development scape for so long. Like I've heard nothing and nothing but about how hard and expensive it is to make actual meaningful products. Uh, and but you you've got this thing popping up in 2017 that seems like a mostly freshman effort like from like inexperienced people on a small team and they just did it somehow yeah
2: i think it's it's just because it's a passion project and it's yeah. probably true that they all worked on it without being paid and like that's the big like money sink is that you have to hire like hundreds of employees to make like a triple a game and you have to pay them like I think they get paid pretty well. Like, you have to pay them a lot of money. Yeah, you have, you
1: have to pay personnel in order to d- develop a game, and if you're making it with your friends, you don't really have to. And that's also the benefit of... Like, because the, the, the flip side of that, while games generally are getting more expensive to make, indie games are becoming easier and cheaper to get into development on because a number of, uh, like, development kits and uh, your... Engines and things are released for free. You have access to it from the beginning, and then uh, basically where all the money comes in is when you're going to publish it. Yeah, you're going because, to advertise it. Yeah, so yeah, you have to advertise it. Do I need to pay like a release fee for this for to the engines? I know that some engines, do, especially depending on platform, uh, Steam is actually pretty generous about that kind of a thing, so mm-hmm. you mostly, when you release on Steam, don't need to. Uh, coincidentally, that is way this game... Is being sold. There's a Switch port that's coming out, but it's not.
2: Uh, yeah, I was actually really sad that we were doing this, so I didn't get to play it on the Switch. <laughs> but what
0: I was waiting for would be perfect for the Switch. Yeah, we really got to work on that so that we can speak it as if it's a hive mind talking. <laughs> yeah. That's what I want to get to. I want to get to with perfect for the Switch, but. Yeah, but they had, they, they can release it for the Switch now because the game is already successful. Like right. it's, it's been yeah. like a, a part of like the general game space conversation for a while now, and kind of got buoyed up by by in the way that lots of games that are like Dark Souls got mm-hmm. buoyed. Right, while that sort of social space hit its peak a, a year or two ago.
1: And I mean, you know, that's how it got as successful as it was on Kickstarter as well. It was basically marketing itself as mm-hmm. like a Dark Souls game. Yeah, though so I feel like. It strays pretty far from that, very far. Yeah, yeah, I mean,
2: like if you boiled it down and kind of looked at it really generally, it's got like a bonfire system, and like an iteration on an Estus system, kind of. Right. And like action combat in an oppressive dark fantasy world. So, I I think it's fair <laughs> that they can get away with calling it that.
0: I just feel like it, it, we're starting to reach the. I mean, people no, joke I agree, about this. I agree
2: that it's it's very different. Yeah. You know? But I'm just saying.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> I understand where it comes from.
0: In particular, uh, since this is... I like the healing system in this game a, a great deal. And it's not ripped from anything else that I am aware of. It is not ripped from Dark Souls. It is certainly not ripped from any Metroidvania game that I know of. Right. Has anyone... The whole incentive that you have to switch... There are plenty of games I've played before that has a system in which you recover your magic ability by dealing like melee damage and switching back and forth like right. that, which creates more dynamic combat situations, which I always find fun. But I've never played a game that also used your that with that system used your magic as an HP resource at the same time. Um, Kingdom Hearts. Kingdom Hearts. Has, like oh, healing spell. Oh, the hitting, original Kingdom Hearts. Yeah, hitting okay. things refills your
2: magic, and you use your magic to heal.
1: Yeah. And my original comparison, which obviously proved to not be true, um, but the healing by itself, uh, Horizon Zerodon has that similar, like, you can heal based on how much of this depletable resource you have in, like, a little side pouch, mm-hmm. um, which was my initial touchstone yeah. for it, but yeah. It, but, it,
2: it, but it's like a resource you have to gather outside of battle.
0: Right. Yeah. But I, I really liked the effect that that specific system had on overworld traversal it, it made i liked the that they were able to link because in, in a vague sense uh systems like this where combat is linked to your hp recovery is true of every game you know you kill an enemy they drop little orbs that recover your health yeah that's true of, of so many 2d things but i liked that they connected it further by giving you the granularity of just hitting a thing at all instead of actually completing the challenge instead of making health a reward for overcoming a challenge you can instead link health to overcoming or completing one specific piece of a challenge and that it made it allowed the actual fights with the enemies and especially the bosses to be way way more dynamic
1: because of that the bosses were really kind of the the thing that i wanted to that i felt like this had the most effect on because in overworld traversal with the exception of the times when abilities were necessary to actually progress like smashing through uh like the glass floors and stuff Mm -hmm. um i found myself just being like i won't ever use spells Mm -hmm. at all because pretty much everything can be defeated with just the sword and doing that both preserves your hp and your mana which becomes then too good to use scenario Mm -hmm. um Which is bad for me. But the bosses are where it becomes interesting because you want to heal, but healing takes a long time. But you regain your healing ability very quickly. Mm -hmm. So you have this like dynamic of like, okay, I have an opening. Do I hit them? Do I run the fuck away and heal? Do I, you know, you have
0: all of these options. Yeah. And because healing without any charm is related to so difficult initially mm-hmm. healing is itself also like an extremely it's, it's almost learning when to heal and how to heal correctly is about as difficult as learning how to attack or hit things correctly it's
2: mm-hmm. like the first part of a boss fight that like i try to figure out or like mm-hmm. when are the healing opportunities yeah
0: yeah and that makes healing engaging in a way that it often isn't because in so many other games uh, the, the, the healing systems are structured as a in games that use healing as a resource that you deplete in which it's getting disengaging from an enemy is comparatively easy and then you just heal like healing is just a thing you do after you run away in a lot of games yeah uh and this game made because everything's limited to one screen in the 2d combat system uh it made healing like a really tactical decision and like really cognitive and i liked it a great deal D- it added a lot to the fact that most of
1: the boss arenas were just Mega Man boss arenas. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. it's a square, occasionally
0: there's a hazard of some kind in it, mm-hmm. but mostly just squares. Yeah, mostly just squares. <laughs> That's kind of true in general, which I assumed helped was. Part of a development constraint, but they were able to do so many things to make up for the fact that everything was just squares that I don't care literally at all. Right. It like I think it was a good decision for them to simplify a lot of the level design down to that so they could work on making things as aesthetically beautiful and as <laughs> all the enemies as mechanically interesting as they are. But before we get off of this, right. I want to focus on my my favorite thing the healing system does into boss combat, which is, uh, as I mentioned before... In conventional boss combat in which healing is tied to a resource, like you have X number of potions, you can cast a spell X time before you run out of this resource, it's always sort of like a resource comparison game or some kind of battle of attrition where you're fighting against a thing and you have an amount of like allotted, in some games it's just like allotted errors with your HP, but in other games it's like, you know, you have a bunch of other HP and you know you're going to have the extra time to use it if you want to. Right. Uh, compare uh, trauma center which had basically
1: a set amount of time that you could fuck around <laughs> healing versus skyrim where you can carry in a, a functionally limitless version of uh, uh, amount of
0: potatoes right. to just eat at any at, at will right but the point is is, is that in those kind of conventional resource depletion systems in the games that even manage to make those resources limited which is surprisingly not many like Mm. the like once you get later and later in like the final fantasy copycat history it becomes very clear that like it's not actually something you're supposed to manage as a resource it's supposed to be a time thing but whatever my point is is that you're even if it is limited you're like have to imagine this comparison between meters and you're kind of having to like do these estimations between like whether or not you have enough health to be able to finish things. It's always attrition wars and a lot of conventional bosses, whether they be RPG bosses or even action RPG bosses. But in this game, what what the healing system allows is it ties your ability to heal by how well you're doing in the fight at any particular time. And it doesn't really care about how much you've messed up before that. You can, if you're good enough at Hollow Knight, you can always recover no matter what state you're in. Mm-hmm. Like, n- none of your actual errors are permanent in the way that, like, for example, in Dark Souls, if you fuck up and take a hit, uh, and you, you're just like, oh, no, it's just one S just gone, and there's nothing I can do to get that back. But right. in this game, if you can go from, if you're good enough, it probably won't happen because you're not good enough. No one, No one is. But, like, hypothetically, you can have a comeback. You can, like, actually get from a situation in which you're fucking up repeatedly and don't have a whole lot of healing resources left and you're like, just have a couple of masks. And you can build yourself back up to a state and that makes the fights way more dramatic and fun to me. And I really love how that healing system interacts with the boss design. It's maybe my favorite mechanical feature of the game. That's all.
1: Yeah, I,
0: I mean, I don't think that is
1: all because we're talking about like boss mechanics and the healing system which are largely like some of the most unique parts of this game and why it functions the way that it does. And
2: it's like where the difficulty comes in like the the later game bosses. Like the like the dream bosses, like the hidden ones that you find are really difficult because it's so hard to find the time to heal
1: <laughs> cuz they're just very aggressive. Yeah. Yeah. There's a uh... See, I come off a little less positively on it, I think, than you do, but still pretty positively. I I like this system. I like any system that, like, makes you have to think about uh, your timing on healing, uh, just because, like, that is something that should take time and, uh, like, some cognitive effort at all. Uh, I th- I feel like the issue is the difference between overworld traversal and boss fights where I think that it works super, super well in the boss fight scenario where you are actively engaged with an enemy over a long period of time and the bosses in this game do tend to take a long time because they want to emphasize this kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, And I don't have an issue with that, (laughs) Uh, shockingly. Mm -hmm. Um, But in overworld traversal, I feel like the healing system is sort of like I mean, maybe they just didn't want you to die very often, but I, I felt like a lot of the time it was just sort of like, okay, like I'll just find some guy crawling on a thing and attack it. And that lends itself to what I think is one of... Uh, I guess one of my favorite parts about the design of this game is that I felt like, as compared to most Metroidvanias and I think it's in order to get around the limitation that the healing system implements, uh, or imposes, rather, on, uh, like, overworld combat, a lot of areas aren't designed like traditional Metroidvania areas where it's mostly about traversal and, like, getting through obstacles. (laughs) A lot of them are designed as, like, screens in a platformer where there's, like, a really specific challenge that you have to get through to get from one point to another in blocks that go along the like uh, the grid of the map.
0: It, this game rarely pushes super hard on the like con- conventional platformer engagement. Like where, where your the, the Queen's Gardens is the thing that comes to mind for me the strongest. Other than of course the, the fucking White, white Palace, which we will get to. goddammit. damn it! <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah. But it, it actual. Like, just damage zone platformer challenges work well here because they. It's one of the few circumstances where you don't have. Damage zone? That's what people call, like, the generic form of, like, a spike pit. Oh, I've never heard them. Whatever you color it, whatever you paint over it, it's the box that hurts you. Right. Uh, uh, But. I'd like to give this
1: game like a massive shout-out, by the way, for not pulling an Ori and just having things that are nearly invisible mm-hmm. that kill you instantaneously. Yeah,
2: I was going to talk about that later yeah. when we talked about the art, inevitably. Yeah, mm-hmm.
0: but you can't recover any soul uh, from platforming challenges, which actually makes them discrete challenges, again, with a set number of, of errors on your part that you're allowed to have. In enemies... The only time the game really wants you to wants your progress to actually be stopped is through a boss or a mini boss most of the time. Otherwise, it's just making sure you don't mess up too badly. Like you can essentially, if an enemy hits you once and you kill them, normally you come out even in overworld Mm -hmm. traversal because unless you have like other charms and stuff. Right. Yeah, I think your issue, Chad, is
2: more of like a like a balance issue or like a like a difficulty curve issue. Because I remember early on. The, the the traversing the overworld feeling like fairly oppressing like in the first couple areas, and uh, like I actually like died and lost all my geo, like trying to get my little ghost back. Yeah. Uh, but then once I got, like, pro- like once I got to the Mantis Village and I like, overcame all that and whatever, like I basically never lost my geo ever again. Right. I had a pretty easy time getting around. It's like. Overworld traversal is, like, a hurdle that you just jump, like, a third of the way in and, like, almost never have to worry about it yeah. again. It's, it's
1: also notable that, like... So I, like, started and stopped this game, like, three times over the course of the extended period that we have uh, had to play it. Mm-hmm. And the first time that I stopped playing it uh, was at Hornet. Um, I could not beat that boss. Like, it took... I think it ended up taking me, like, 15 total tries to beat her. Oh, wow. Uh, this game just was not, like... Th- the long and short of it, uh, I think this game is objectively good. Uh, I think that it is a challenging game, and I think that when you make a challenging game, there has to be an equal amount of desire to the challenge from the par- on the part of the player, yeah. and this game didn't drive that in me at all. Hmm. So I didn't get good, so <laughs> to speak. You didn't get uh, good? Why not? But the part before Hornet, everything before Hornet, sucks real bad and is the worst (laughs) and then everything after that becomes fun because you have the dash and the dash makes this game like the combat in this game way better yeah this was like my
2: big uh takeaway or like my big point to make with this game is i think this game is genuinely unique in the genre and it takes too long to get to that point yeah because like I had a, a way less exaggerated version of that experience as well mm-hmm. where I was playing it and I was like not feeling super pulled in I was like loving the way it looked mm-hmm. but other than that it felt like a super generic Metroidvania <laughs> and then until I got the dash and the wall jump and exactly. then I'm yeah. like oh now I'm actually playing the game. It's like what it felt like after I got that. I'm like, oh, I, I get it now. It's like when everything kind of clicked. Yeah, because about they don't... like what like the identity of the game, and they don't get to it till like a couple hours in.
1: Right, and you get like, if you've played a Metro before, then you know when you like see stuff that you're like, I'll get an ability to get to that stuff.
0: Oh yeah, I literally had a notes page on my phone that was like the point on the map where I thought there was a thing I could come back to, and me, like, theorizing about what hypothetical ability could let me reach there. So it was like, right. I had, like, five things that were, like, double jump, D- Yeah, mark? Yeah. At the yeah.
1: beginning, yeah. you realize you don't get double jump until you're, like, really far into the yeah, game. But, like, this
2: has like that kind of uh, super easy to pull off wall jump, so yeah. you don't really need the double jump f- for the most part yeah. N- yeah. until like the late game. Yeah,
1: I also thought double jump for the longest time until I got the wall jump and was like okay, I guess this works too. Mm-hmm. And then you go back and start finding other stuff and you start feeling like you're playing a Metroidvania like you said. Yeah. Uh, and it's like, the, because the game gives you no motivation to to, it's like because it is Dark Souls esque in the way that it tells its story, you don't know what the knight is doing uh, or why you would want to go into this place. Mm-hmm. So they send you in, not only with no direction, which is something familiar to people who have played games like this before, yeah, but also no like end goal. Like, you don't know what things are important, you just know that you're walking around in, like, a at the beginning, a pretty standard Metroidvania. They're even Like, the first room that you come across is even, like, a room that has two floating platforms with an enemy that goes in a full circle around it. And you're like, okay, all right, I know what I'm... I, I can't shoot it, but I can hit it with a sword, otherwise I'm playing Metroid. Like, yeah, I know right. this. Yeah, that was another thing that I
2: actually kind of forgot about, is in the beginning like maybe i just missed some stuff but like mm-hmm. i really felt like i was just aimlessly wandering around having no idea where to go
0: this game really strongly makes what i call the ad adventurer assumption Which is uh, a thing, which is like a classic D&D design perspective that gets borrowed by a lot of stuff. It it became increasingly fashionable over the last 10 years or so as people started to be more, like, nostalgic about older D&D editions. Mm -hmm. uh, In, like, whether that be in tabletop design or video game design or whatever. But the idea is, is... because this game actually talks about it in the opening town when you're going down, like, like oh, lots of people go down, there are few return, but there could be fantastical treasures. <laughs> yeah. Like, the, the assumption of this game is that, like, you don't need to incentivize the player to explore because that's why they're playing the game and that's the assumption they come yeah, in with.
2: I still, like, I absolutely hate it when games take that to its extreme and, like, don't give you, like, a... Hey, you should probably go do this thing. Yeah, like, I completely agree like, <laughs> with you. For
0: reference, I'm just describing the approach right, that I yeah. think they. Yeah, I
2: just I really don't like that. It's
1: really hard to do that right. Like you need like a basic goal, like as you described on I'm assuming the Metroid Prime podcast, the inciting planet. Like yeah. you need the place <laughs> that you go that establishes like you as a character before you actually begin in on the game. Right. I
0: think a little part of that what they were hoping for that was. Assuming people would go right and stumble on the black egg and then just be so captivated by the mystery of the black egg that they would just want to keep playing, but the, I don't think you quite got there. You guys
1: know me. me.
0: Yes, yeah. And you know
1: that I walked into the black egg and went like okay and then left and then didn't even like register it as important uh-huh. yes i was so driven by the like uh caterpillar like the worm guys <laughs> oh, the grubs yeah the grubs i was like oh shit these grubs and then like i got like the first couple and went back and they started saying and i was like oh my god i gotta get these grubs back <laughs> yeah I-, I was calling them wormies to myself
0: for, like, the whole game
1: for some reason, that was the like, whole big important thing that ends up being like the driving force of your character's progression throughout the game. Mm-hmm. Unimportant. <laughs> Worms in <and> eggs, A. <laughs> That's what I'm telling I mean, they are for. super cute. They're and adorable, and, yeah. Therefore,
2: like, satisfying to collect.
1: And you always have to, like, save them from mm-hmm. some, like, wretched situation.
2: Um. Oh, God, I was going to say something. Oh, yeah, the black egg totally worked on me, though. Like, I kept coming back to that, like, <laughs> like being like, wow, the fuck do I get in here? <laughs> Before I, like, figured out uh, what you needed to do to open it. Like, that really stuck in my mind the whole time.
0: Yeah. I think that's what they were trying to bank on. And the game's comparatively pretty linear until... The dash Although I know you can get under some bullshit, what was? <laughs> what, at what point did you quit, Chad?
1: uh I'd gotten two of the the dreamers, I think is what they're called. Oh, then you were pretty damn far into the game. Yeah, I got. It took me a
2: bit. Yeah, there's a lot of optional stuff to do, but you were most of the way through like the critical
0: path. Yeah, yeah, crit like strict crit path of this game is like ridiculously bare bones, if you as the player want it to be. But as I said, the game makes the AD&D assumption, and it's like, of course you're not gonna just go to Right, you're game. gonna explore. And I yeah.
1: explored, like, a fair amount. The, I, there's no way for me to describe the amount of time that I actually spent in this game. Because oh, my... yeah. I noticed that your Steam said that you played this for 70 hours. Right. I didn't actually play it <laughs> for 70, it I left on it overnight. on overnight at one point, <laughs> oh. so, like, there's, like, a 24-hour period in there that's, like, completely irrelevant, and probably more. Uh, I probably spent, like, 15 or so hours uh i didn't do a great job of collecting shit and died a lot in the game um but yeah i got because i because I, I, I watched uh like a commentary list let's play for the rest of the game so i knew that i was like pretty close yeah yeah, yeah i had a similar
2: kind of not problem or but like experience i guess where I didn't do a lot of, like, the collecting and finding of extra shit till I'd already beaten all the Dreamers. This so just like, you in
1: a Metroidvania, though. Yeah, now. fighting...
2: Like, well, I actually... Fighting the Omega
1: Pirate on... Yeah. 60 health this and this 20, one 20 was, missiles! Previously...
0: I previously. Well, you to try and beat games with four energy tanks well, 25 it, it, it,
2: <laughs> This one wasn't nearly as extreme for me, though. Like, I actually did find... A fair number of things, but mm-hmm. like the um, because of that though, it, it um, the Watcher Knights ended up being like the hardest fucking boss for me in the whole game. What are the
0: Watcher Knights? The,
2: it's the, one of the Dreamers is the Watcher. He's in the the City of
0: Tears. Oh oh, the Roly Poly guys. The Roly City Poly Tears. Knights. Okay, yes. gotcha. They're
2: basically the Abyss Watcher. Like, they share like the yeah yeah, the I gotcha essence that goes in between them and reanimates their dead bodies and shit. Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. Basically, the
2: abyss watchers,
1: but yeah. roly-poly bugs. That's yeah. kind of this game. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs>
0: Basically, that, but like adorable insects all the time. Uh,
1: I loved like as much as I. I don't. I don't love boss fights in games generally. Like that's just sort of like a thing with me. Okay. Um. Uh, not that I dislike them. It's just like they're never the highlight of any game most of the time. Um, we'll talk about Monster Hunter World next time it's <laughs> yeah. mostly just boss yeah. fights and I'll try to I actually kind of
2: feel the same way. Like, a lot of people, I feel like boss fights are, like, the meat and potatoes of the game for them. Mm-hmm. Whereas, like, I enjoy them but I feel like as, like, much more of an equal element to everything else. Right.
1: But I felt like the, like, the concepts of the bosses in this game were so good, like, throughout. Like, I, like the majority of the ones that I fought, I felt like uh set themselves up in a way that made them feel really important, uh... To just like the game generally. Dung Defender. Dung Defe- I was literally <laughs> gonna bring up Dung Defender as my first uh, <laughs> example here because it is the quintessential like the, Like I described all of the boss arenas as being like Mega Man boss arenas. Yeah. Dung Defender is a Mega Man boss in like the most video gamey way possible. <laughs> He's just all about dodging projectiles and attacking as he moves around in a square. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I loved it. Like, it was cool and fun, but I didn't, uh, like, obviously it's not, like, a huge thing. I can't remember the name of the other boss that I'm thinking of. It's the guy who gives you the the drop attack. Like, the The down Soul beat. Master. The Soul Master. Oh, Soul Master is
0: amazing. He's so good.
1: I fucking, that's probably my favorite boss that I fought in the game. Yeah. That's uh, a pretty good boss.
0: But yeah, uh, yeah. you can get a rematch with him after you get the, the soul so needle. Tiring. Oh shit! Yeah, you can go back to like a few of the bosses you've already killed with the
1: soul needle. And D- like, does he make a like uh, comparatively hilarious death rattle noise <laughs> to the soul master? Yes, yes, <laughs> <Good. he does. laughs> yeah. That was when that happened. I was just it was just so unexpected, that I like bust up <laughs> uh, laughing. It was yeah. good. Uh, there. After the dung defender,
2: there was like some kind of a lever that you you hit mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that made like some like of
0: green liquid. Yes,
2: like do, what does that do?
0: Uh, that drains the swamp underneath. He was he was defending Isma's. Oh,
2: it drains
0: that. It drains that so you can access it okay. and get Isthmus Tear and then go... Yeah, I, then go I was actually the, like...
1: Uh, the Valley of Drake's... Yeah. And um, then... Circle around back to
0: Firefly. Firefly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, now, that explains <laughs> before, a lot yeah. because
2: I was I was walled pretty hard trying to get into the Queen's Gardens because I had missed Ysma's tier Tear. Uh-huh. So I had to like look up what the fuck I was supposed to do and I was what? like, oh, there's like an area down here that i totally missed how did that happen well well, what
1: (laughs) i imagine is a lot of people's problem who bounced off this game is just being like where the fuck do i go at all Mm. i I feel like there's a lot of times when you're just sort of like like i was driven mostly by just uh an intense desire to fill in the map yeah yeah see yeah I that
2: ended up being my experience, but like not till after I'd gotten like a third of the way in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, like I feel like it doesn't, it didn't like incentivize that early on for me.
0: Agreed. There's a lot of early game issues with this, but Cause once yeah, you like, get into the into the true like middle meat of this game, I feel like I like I couldn't imagine not being incentivized to explore because exploring aim- aimlessly unlike in a lot of other games where the zones are so large that exploring aimlessly means you're kind of just exploring spaces similar to the other spaces you found right. more like item hunting really than anything yeah. in this game exploring aimlessly, especially since there's always gradation between the zones, like you'll go into the city waterways and then you'll start seeing mushrooms show up and you'll slowly transition into the mushroom zone. Right. In this game, exploring aimlessly always kind of just like blows your mind because you appear <laughs> somewhere completely different and like visually striking from where you were before. Okay. I can't say that it ever blew my
1: mind, but I get what you're
0: saying. Yeah, <sighs> yeah. You didn't like the uh, the hollow, the Howling Cliffs. Did you ever get there?
1: That sounds really familiar. Can the, you describe it uh, visually?
0: The tonight? far left part of the map. It's like, like yes, <laughs> yeah, it's like
1: where your character
2: jumps down from at the beginning. Yeah,
0: because after I got the wall jump, I was just fucking around, being like, "Oh, <laughs> can yeah. I just get there?" Right, right. Turns out yes, and then if you keep going left far enough, you would get a whole new zone just from bullshitting around. Yeah, like, I didn't find that till I
2: uh, unlocked the stag nest for finding all the stations.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah, there's so many times this game rewarded by, like, ambient environmental bullshittery on, like, nine tiers beyond what I expected to be rewarded mm-hmm. for. You know, yeah, I felt that
2: pull really strong, like, after City of Tears. Yeah. Like, I had, like, no idea where to go, but I just kept finding new places, and I'm like, ah, cool. Yeah. Like, and I'm just like, I was like, how far does this go? And, like, finding the tram was, like, a cool experience to me. Cause like, which tram? Like, the initial, like, getting the pass. Like, finding the abandoned station in uh-huh. Nest and, like, getting the pass and be like, oh, shit. Like, I don't Something about that was just, like, a really cool. I didn't expect to find, like, a...
0: A tram pass? Yeah, like <laughs> yeah. a tram
2: pass. <laughs> just laying around.
1: You never expect to find... That's, like, kind of the beauty of the world design, which is something that we'll probably talk about at, like, a... a more detail in a Mm -hmm. bit, but, like, the fact that you never really expect to, given, like, the nature of this game, you never expect to find, like, anything that you do. Like, it's always shocking, like, the first time that you run across something that's just, like, requires a token donation of Geo to activate, you're like, what? Like, (laughs) I thought I was in, like, a busted-ass... Dead forest. Like, why why can I call a bug to pick me up? I
2: I loved the visual joke. Like, the first time you pay for a bench and one just like shoots up out of the ground and (laughs) folds out. Uh, Yeah, that
0: was really funny. Uh, um, In exploration, did you ever get trapped anywhere, Andy?
2: No. But I'm usually not the kind of person that tries to push the limits of a game. I rarely ever experience bugs like that
0: i didn't know that you could use the downward slash on spikes at all and Mm -hmm. also i learned
2: that pretty late as well
0: i also didn't know if you did that that it would give you upward momentum Mm -hmm. so i got trapped in the ancient basin like way earlier than i should have been for a long time and i couldn't get out (laughs) interesting Uh, yeah yeah, if you do them on the, uh, you can use the downward
1: slash on the 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 little the mush puffs. I don't know. The, oh, those it's... pink boingy mushrooms. Yeah, that yeah. took me so long to figure out. Me too. Yeah. Oh man. Yep. The, that was I. Once I figured that out, like that area became like one of well, we can get into why I didn't really love that area, but <laughs> I I liked the movement in that area a
2: lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's the it's the part of the game that made me realize that playing it with the analog stick was wrong, and playing with the D pad is the right way to go.
0: I fucking stubbornly, even when the game <laughs> shrieked that at me mechanically yeah. as loud as it could in the White like, Palace, I mm-hmm. was like, "No, it's oh, wow. an analog stick." I'm like shocked because, like, I'm
2: like <laughs> I'm like a very stubborn, like all analog stick all the time kind of guy. Yeah, but like, I started playing with the D pad when like the downward, like, jumping on the mushrooms is really difficult for and me. And you end up, like, swinging with forward and With the stick, yeah. yeah. That annoyed me so much that so I switched to the D-pad and then, like, immediately realized that, like, oh, I'm just, like, better at this game. It, like, it's so much better with it's the It's just way more
1: precise. Yeah, yeah, it's
2: like, oh, my God. No. <laughs> yeah, so now, when I, if I try to boot it up now and play with the analog stick, I'm like, oh, God, this is awful.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I kind of default to the D-pad. Default to the D-pad. <laughs> What up? I
2: find uh, <laughs> that I'm kind of like drifting to that side in more recent
0: years. And it depends on the game. In a 2D obviously. game, yeah, the in a 2D game, game you feel
2: would like never, ever, ever, yeah. obviously
1: want to do that. <laughs> <But> <laughs> most of the time, it wouldn't even do anything. Right. Like, it would
0: be your item selection
1: menu or right. something. Yeah. Um. But yeah. I think so. I I would say that we can all kind of agree that this game does a lot more with the uh, Metroidvania structure than. At least, probably any of us have seen, mm-hmm. where it uses the the fact that you have access to this big open map with all of these things that you want to get to, to actually kind of guide you into places that you didn't expect or know that you wanted to go. Yeah, that that's that's that was my big thrust of of this conversation because
0: it takes because the game is so selective about its fast travel mechanisms. Uh, and because of the way the bench system works, uh, you it feels like a true adventure to me when I was going through it in the mid-game because it was possible to just, like, fuck up and get stuck somewhere <laughs> forever. Like, I love the concept of, of that. as I mean, it, it's such, like, a, a player-unfriendly thing comparatively, right? For you to be able to go a certain direction and then just be like, oh, no, I fell down a big hole and can't get out of the big hole. Right. But, like,
1: that makes... The best stories. I, I feel like at this point, people should probably realize I, I, that the majority of us, or uh, all of us the majority of the time, are in favor, generally, of player-unfriendly mechanical decisions. <laughs> yeah. Because are always like there's always something in a lot of games that we really like that we're like, Uh, I really like the fact that if you do this, it fucks with you horribly. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I I feel like
2: the more you play games, the more likely you are to like interesting things like that. Yeah.
1: Something that breaks for the mold. Yeah. Is really what it
2: is. But, uh, no, I loved that I was able to, like, stumble into Deep Nest and, like, find that dreamer, like, go through that whole temple or whatever, and, like, before I ever even had the dream now. Oh, wow, really? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like, I got there, I went there, like, right after city of tears jeez, and like got into that temple all the way through it to the end there's just like this sleeping like (laughs) spider woman or whatever right and i'm like what the how what do i do with this (laughs) but yeah like and that and i also found the um the knight that lets you access the white palace i think also before i had the dream (laughs) now So I was
1: like, big, those were like those were big motivators to explore for it, me. If you, if you playing other Metroidvanias is anything to go on, because it's like it actually of the show.
2: not so much. I, I found myself like it, it it's clicking now, right? <laughs> yeah, it's like uh, <laughs> I don't
1: know if it's that or if it's just this game is so much more your style it, than it most is. I don't. We've played.
0: I
2: can't imagine someone making a Metroidvania that's more
0: up my alley than this one. True. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The the questions that this game asks that are supposed to trigger exploration on the player's part are so much better questions than so many other assumptions. Because, like, in Metroid Prime... You explore... Generally, you know kind of where you want to go. Uh, a lot Occasionally,
1: of different... there's just a fucking
0: stamp on the map. But... Yeah, it's just like, Come, go here, go this <laughs> yeah. direction. Uh, and the, like, general broader exploration outside of the expected path of the game is just like, to see if I can find an energy tank or something like yeah. that. But, like, this game, you'll find, like, seven zones if you <laughs> do that. Uh, or
1: sometimes just, like, a creepy girl mining and singing oh, a song, yeah. which is great, She too. was not creepy... Until she attacked you. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> she but was a nice, I,
0: beautiful person.
1: Actually, not fair enough. I'm pretty sure that she was creepy the whole time. Have oh, co- seen no, enough horror movies that like children singing? Is yeah, just, and she was singing unsettling. like she was singing creepy fairy tales about oh, yeah, death.
2: Yeah, or, Yeah, yeah. So I mean, def- there was definitely a creepy undertone there. Look. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, all... I agree she was likable and cute.
0: I get that, but I'm saying in her defense, <laughs> all nursery rhymes are creepy. Fairly literally my, all nursery. Most nursery rhymes are about death as well. Yes, <laughs> that, that's true, but like this
2: one's like more explicit about it.
0: Yes. <laughs> because you because you don't have because the cultural said... awareness. Because everyone your whole life hasn't been singing to you. Yeah, like Is down the cultural the daughter awareness two two? of this uh, of this society just
1: talk about death. Explicitly, often
0: <laughs> there are literally
1: zombies underneath the, where they sleep. <laughs> this has to be a new thing, though, right? Yeah. Like this—this this wasn't like an ancient civilization. This is somebody who survived from like the
0: old world. <laughs> fair, fair. Yeah, but there's. All right, whatever. But, we're getting into a lore tangent. Now. Yeah, what we're gonna yeah, do it, is take also, a break. Yeah. Okay. <laughs>
2: I was going to say, it's also a little bit weird that she's just like blissfully mining away <laughs> and, and not
1: and just not
2: acknowledging that everyone else that she knows is a mindless zombie.
1: Look, she, she has a minor, okay? She mines. True. She's a minor, minor. And she's, she's a, also a minor character. <laughs> the minor,
0: minor, minor?
1: The minor, minor, minor the character. The under uh-huh. He's beneath you, but nothing, <laughs> nothing is, is beneath below him. him. Uh, <laughs> right. Yeah. Break time. Yeah, Andy Open demands time break. Other stuff. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> This most Like haphazard break we've ever had. This well,
0: is standing up, but it's like <laughs> fucking break. This is the No emergency break. This is the break yeah. that was promised to
2: me. <laughs> the emergency
1: break. <laughs> Welcome back from the break. One of the things that we talked about a couple of times. Uh, but didn't really get into uh, mechanically. I don't even know that the mechanics are really that important uh, in this discussion, but the idea of charms and sort of the there being the way that your character makes progression for the most part, mm-hmm. albeit outside of, like, your bog-standard Metroidvania
0: progression of just getting more health and ammo. Right, right, but it's important to note with the way that that progression works in this game that that's super limited. The difference between a a, a starting bare bones character with nothing and any end going an end game character with everything that is just like the standard upgrade items is just uh one essentially backup soul circle yeah. that you can store and four more masks and that's it yeah yeah which is, and you start with five masks in one circle. So you double your soul, and you slightly more than double your health, and that's it. And if you compare it to something like Metroid, that's a ridiculously small amount of progression. So yeah, right. the charms are most of the way that you change your character.
1: And it's also my favorite progression system I've seen in a game in like a bazillion, jillion years. Because, specifically because of just how goddamned interesting it is to have your abilities be endlessly interchangeable and your progression just being your ability to mix other abilities like fold it in Mm -hmm. so that you have you don't have a build like you would in an rpg and you also don't have like a stat tree like you do in also rpgs but also it's 2018 so so every game they ever played yeah uh And the fact that you're able to upgrade it, and you can, like, miss shit, so you don't, like... It's not, like, at the end of the game, I'm level 10. I can wear all the charms. Like, you can never expect to have everything available to you. In fact, you have, like, a comically small number of your potential abilities allotted to you uh, as you progress through the game. And I absolutely love it. Like, I really like it. Yeah. Not that I didn't waste... Uh, like, a slot for the entire time that I played on just the, uh, the, like, Geo magnet
0: mm.
1: one, because ooh, I needed it.
0: I've read things online about everyone doing that. Yeah. I never touched that. I, not I, I used I it for need. a
2: significant chunk of the game as well.
1: It's, I, I felt like I wasn't playing the game a fit, okay, uh, I mentioned that I died, like, a million times to, like, the third boss. Uh-huh. Uh, I was bad at the beginning of this game, and additionally lost all of the geo that I made from the first boss and everything leading up to it without spending any of it. it like, Ooh. 500 or so, 600, something in
0: that. That hurts. Uh,
1: just because uh, I was playing it with lag, which was a problem that I corrected <laughs> later. Um, I texted Andy, I remember being like, The roly-poly enemies are the hardest enemies in any game ever. <laughs> Because I couldn't hit them. Like, I would, like, try and, like, run away and then turn around and hit them, and I couldn't turn around in time, but it was just because there was, like, a few milliseconds of lag between my, like, input and the thing happening, and then once I started playing it directly on my computer monitor, uh, they were real easy.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And this is why the Steam link is currently on sale for one dollar with the purchase of Hollow Knight. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. because the steam link
1: is imperfect technology and you drop 99% of the frame. <laughs> uh, but I felt like the geomagnet really helped me because like the thing that I was doing to get myself injured the most was chasing after shit that fell and I didn't want to have to redo platforming sections just because, like, a particularly juicy enemy happened to fall <laughs> yeah. in between the cracks, and I had to go get his loot. Right,
2: and uh, those little clumps of Geo that you can just, like, bust. To fly all over out. the goddamn The Geo just, place. like, spews halfway <laughs> across the room. Mm-hmm. It was like, the Geo magnet made actually uh, interacting with those not annoying.
0: Yeah, I do agree that those should <laughs> erupt for no clear reason.
1: But have you played, um... I feel like, Andy, you've played Shovel Knight not to bring another Knight game into this conversation. I've played
2: like a third of it.
1: Yeah, so in Shovel Knight, they have, like, those little treasure things, and you dig them up, and, like, treasure kind of, like, falls mm-hmm. near you, and you run back and forth to pick it up. So, that is, like, what the Geo rocks are, but then they're mixed with the coin battle from Super Smash Bros. <laughs> where coins just fucking explode all over the place, and you're like, yeah. how do I get it's, all these it's, coins?
2: It's like when Sonic gets hit and all his yeah. rings
1: fly, like, yeah. that's what happens with the Geo. You're like, there's, like, a 40% of... a a 40% chunk of these that I'm just sacrificing because there's no way I'm gonna go get them. Right, yeah. Yeah. So the Geomagnet was like, it at least like helped me feel like I was making progress instead of being a jackass.
2: Yeah, but I felt like the Charms kind of had that problem of there were just too many of them comparative to like how many you could equip. Like, it, it, it... Incentivize that kind of behavior, at least that it does in me, with systems like this in games, where I just find a couple that I like and then just never experiment with the rest of them. Like, I found the one like for like the Dash Master, and I'm like, mm. this seems like a cool, useful charm. But then, like, I never tried it out because like I had my like standard
1: like go to charms already. I had like an, I had an experience similar to the pins from The World Ends with You, mm-hmm. where I would try all of the new ones that I found but found myself going back to ones that I liked a lot. Dashmaster was one that I did use for a lot of it just because I liked being able to dash uh, more. <laughs>
2: mm-hmm. Yeah, I use like the boring ones that probably everyone uses which is like damage long up. slash yeah, long like out. quick soul refill you know, like those ones that I... are, like just make your most used abilities that little bit more efficient.
1: I wanted them to go uh, more all out with, uh, and by more out, I mean at all, with uh, dumb puns. Uh, because I was really hoping there was going to be, like, a charm that, la- that like the long nail, where you would be able to, like, slash it and go a little bit further, but, like, let you grab onto a wall with it and call it the hang nail. <laughs> you went really far for that, Jeff. I yeah, did,
0: you yeah. did, yeah. you Truly reaching. You know how
1: long I thought about is there going to be a charm called Hangnail while I was playing it? (laughs) Maybe in
2: the Hornet DLC because she actually throws her nail into stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe we'll get a Hangnail. Maybe there will be a Hangnail. It's
0: still possible.
1: Um, God, I hope it doesn't (laughs) end. Thanks, JJ.
0: (laughs) In my case with the charms, uh, I also had bog-standard sets, but I found myself... Uh, especially considering how difficult a lot of the challenges were in this game doing some pretty extreme variation uh because unlike a lot of the other rpg systems that you normally encounter in games of this kind of difficulty that have like sunk costs that keep you from truly trying to experiment uh this game has like no sunk costs really you just so, have to
1: find a bench
0: yeah yeah That's it. uh so you can switch around at your leisure i'd especially in some of the harder bo- bosses would switch my entire approach many times trying to get through them um, the things that I used the most were like the fast slash um, the fast uh, health recharge thing mm-hmm. uh, and a couple of others situationally as the game went on oh and grub song of course because grub song uh, is mm. the best charm in the game <laughs> by a huge margin. Um, especially when you're going through what mid does that one do? Uh, you you get 15 percent of a circle charge every time you take damage. That's right.
2: Yeah, I was gonna say I know I used that one, but I can't remember. Yeah, the yeah. specific. There's like,
1: also ones that just like recharge soul over time. Yeah. Uh, which is like an interesting subversion of what it seems to be the entire
0: mechanical premise of this game. <laughs> yeah, but that was that was the last charm you get. Yeah, and even then you actually, if you want to get the cool ending, you have to give that charm up. So it's right. still fine. But uh, did you guys figure out the overcharm system? Oh, uh, where you could equip an additional thing and it takes double damage. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, uh, I
2: never, ever, ever would have figured that out on my own. I, uh, my,
0: uh, my girlfriend's cat walked on my controller while I was sitting. Mm-hmm. It was like in my lap, and then it like went over, and I, when I was trying to do the charm stuff, and it just happened. He just happened to fuck with it enough while I was trying to like <laughs> get him, and that I saw like a purple light flash while I was trying to equip it at that time. And I was like. Hold on. <laughs> and then, uh, even though I did not force my cat to continue pressing the button. Yeah. If it, your cat had just beaten the game for you, it would have been <laughs> like way better. Yeah. It would have. But no, I, I pressed it instead of the cat after that point and was like, oh, this is neat. But then I only used it one time ever. I, I couldn't justify it.
1: I, I was too bad at this game to, like, want to take the penalty of, mm-hmm. of taking yeah. additional damage. Yeah, I didn't know about it till after I'd finished the game,
0: so. Yeah. Right. it was the only time I, I don't think up. I would have used it anyway. I only used it when I did that, like, gray Warner get across the entire world sub mission or whatever. Did you I ever find her? No, I didn't do that. Oh, there's, do you know about it? I feel like I
2: may have heard somebody mention this.
0: Oh, yeah, there's a there's a mission you can go on that that's somewhat secret you can find. Oh, with the
2: flower? Yeah, and if you oh, take yes, I did do this. Okay, yeah. So I, just... I thought you meant like something about like using the the flying ability to fly
0: all the way from one end of the map to the other. No, no, no. It was just <laughs> uh, if you take damage, you lose the flower. Yeah. So there's no reason not to try and overcharm for it. So I, I used like mm-hmm. a completely different weird build for that. I liked a lot of the the way that they had this little side quests forcing you to do different things and different approaches i like I said before i switched my charms a whole lot over the course of the game i ended up beating uh the final boss with a set of charms i would have never used before uh, which was like just trying to manipulate your spells a whole lot um, yeah, the only boss
2: that i felt like i felt like i didn't feel any incentive to change mine like ever on the opposite end where like i felt like if I was having trouble, I, it was just because like I, I just needed to, to get good. Like, right. I just needed to play better.
1: Well, I feel like changing your charms out, especially when you're doing like repeated boss runs, almost hurts more than it helps sometimes, because you sometimes aren't learning sake. how to uh, like handle the thing with the tools you have. You're changing your tools, so it kind of refreshes the learning experience. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I didn't really have that experience and did change charms occasionally for bosses, but didn't... Uh, I I suspect that that could lend
0: itself to uh, just being, like, walled by something forever. This yeah. game has a surprisingly large ability for the, like, Souls-like genre that it purports to be in uh, of allowing you to brute force situations that seem hard. Mm-hmm. There were a lot of bosses that I never felt like I actually, after the fact, had truly attained enough mastery of to feel like I earned the, the win against them. But I beat just through, like like, the Joni's Blessing charm and, like, things that give you a whole lot of extra masks and just, like, damage up and the well, fast last. And yeah, just...
2: there's a lot of, like, I felt like this game didn't really feel like it was that hard until, um, you do, like, the late game, like, optional stuff.
0: Um, yeah, because the Hollow Knight himself, like, the actual, the, the... Floor you need to get past to beat the game at all is actually not very hard. The, there's a lot of reasons they couldn't make the Hollow Knight himself that difficult of a fight, mm-hmm. but it was by the end of that 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 became like robotic for me getting through that. Yeah. Like it was
1: very easy. It kind of got it's kinda, it's a Gwyn situation.
0: What's a, what is a Gwyn
1: situation? Where Gwyn isn't that hard of a boss in comparison to like everything leading up to him. Mm-hmm. I feel like, uh, albeit as somebody who did not play the Hollow Knight boss. Mm.
2: uh, I'm actually one of those people that think that Gwyn is actually a pretty hard
1: boss. Me too. You watched me play Gwyn. You know I think (laughs) Gwyn is hard. I feel like I'd have a much easier time with him now that I've played every other Dark Souls game. Um, But, yeah. I don't think that having bosses that you have to get really familiar with in order to beat is, like, a staple of the genre either. I think that it's just sort of a side effect of good boss design a lot of the time. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, like, oftentimes... look at Dark Souls too. Like, two-thirds of the bosses in that game are just kind of trashy garbage that you don't <laughs> yeah. have to learn. You
0: just have to go in and just kill it like a regular enemy and walk away. Yeah, but there were too many times, I felt like, in Hollow Knight, because of how high the ceiling could get through charm combinations and nail upgrades, sure. where uh, I really did feel like I could just out-DPS the boss, and I just had a long enough invulnerability frames from after taking damage that if I just, like, sat there and just freaking spammed were, it... Was, there were oh, a I lot went. of
2: bosses where you had, like, a window where you could just, like, whack the boss
0: like, <laughs> eight times
1: in a row, like, right. for free. Yeah. Well, I mean, look, I'd be... Uh, Bioshock with a wrench like <laughs> lo- good games can have systems that are exploitable
0: right fair fair and I do think this is a very very good game. Uh, I just I almost wish that the game had exerted a little bit more pressure on me at, at different times. It might even be specifically a problem with that Joni's blessing charm of all the charms um, but it, it felt like I was I was getting off a little bit too easy. Uh, and then the Radiance happened, and I never got off with anything easy ever again. Uh, oh my god, god, was that hard? That'd be the hardest... That may be the most attempts I've ever made on any boss in any game. I sat there for like five hours trying <laughs> the Radiance.
1: Yes. Uh, are you talking about most attempts, individual attempts, or most time spent on a single boss? Individual attempts. Okay. Yeah. I feel like I probably... That has to go for uh, Santa Claus, the boss of the West in uh, Hyperlight Drifter. For me, (laughs) but the iteration time was so fast on it that it like probably took me like an hour, hour and a half. But I died. That's
2: something that's like that I really dislike about the Radiance as a boss is that you have to, to go kill the Hollow Knight first before you can fight him. It had one
0: again, yeah. fantastic side effect for me, which is that it turned essentially the Hollow Knight boss into, like, a grade school bully simulation for me. <laughs> because every time what would happen after so many iterations, like after iteration 10 of the time... Every time I lost, I was just filled with like a deep personal primal rage. And I uh-huh. had gotten I had gotten the systems down so that like as soon as I respond, you know, you just jump off, dash twice, kill the thing, go into the crystal mode and then fling. So it took like literally six seconds to get back into the boss fight after you lost to the Radiance. Right. So the so the anger was still like fresh within me. Right. So it was all just just me entering a room with like, Stop just punching pure guy. rage while an incredibly easy boss stood in my way. Like, by the end of it, especially since, like like him, I also just kind of would spam through him to a certain extent. Yeah. It just felt like I was pinning him against the wall and just, like, punching his stupid broken face over and over again until he let <laughs> me through. Forty <laughs> times in, in, like, three hours. Related to that, I found
1: that, like, and, like, the, the Hollow Knight specifically, that boss fight... Uh, I found that when I started the game, I felt like the art style made the knight look sort of like uh, cute and bewildered, like he didn't know what he was getting into. <laughs> when you get to the Hollow Knight, and, who has like kind of an animalistic quality to it, him her, I don't know if it's actually stated. I don't know if it even has a gender or whatever. Uh, Where it kind of, like, jumps back and forth and, like, attacks in, like, a fury, you know? Yeah. Uh, it makes the knight, your character, seem like, a like a sociopath. Because it just had, just, like, the dead eyes and calculated, like, very (laughs) short, quick (laughs) attacks. Yeah, that's one of my, like, Actual like
2: favorite things about the game is where like realizing what your character is.
0: Mm-hmm. I completely agree. It, especially since it's it's literally a mask. What your character right, is yeah. like like realizing that you are. A, like essentially a homunculus designed to pretend <laughs> to be a bug and has no emotions or feelings at all. Mm-hmm. Great way to justify a silent protagonist in any game. Mm-hmm. Just be like be you a, were designed to have no, no personality. No. <laughs> so, yeah. I watched
2: like a, like a little bit of like a lore video on this game. Yeah. And apparently what the Hollow Knight is made of is like the black abyss water. Yeah, yes. Yeah, and apparently it's like malleable and you can like Fashion like a like a living being out of it.
0: Tons of things. The collector is made yeah, of that stuff.
2: Yep, you can find the mold that which created the collector's body, like in the game.
0: Good lore, solid lore in this game. All the I have yeah.
2: nuances
1: with that, but uh, shoutouts to the mask making bug also for being the creepiest fucking thing in the whole world. <laughs> oh,
0: you knocked off the mask. Yeah. How did you just figure that out?
1: No. <laughs> uh,
0: you that was a lie. Oh. I just
1: found it online. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. No, I, didn't know he could do, thing. I thought
0: he just didn't do anything. Oh, but he does one thing, which is if you... I, <laughs> Stare I your this. balls off. Yeah. I, it's because afterwards, I had so many, as we'll get to later, so many, like questions left in my mind of like wait this doesn't make sense in the narrative Mm -hmm. that i started googling stuff and like experience and like to to try and fill in the gaps of the narrative experience of the game so if you go back to the mask maker and Mm -hmm. do like a desolate dive i don't know why it has to specifically be that move Mm -hmm. uh his mask gets knocked off and you see his face beneath and it's just like this makes it sound comical when it's actually deeply deeply horrifying Uh, but (laughs) uh (laughs) his his eyes are like the spirals that people would normally use to hypnotize other people you know what i'm talking about the black and white spirals that twist in haunted houses his eyes are like (laughs) both of those and he talks a lot of lore nonsense that's very creepy in context just his i mean his character's like dialogue when you walk in the first
1: time is creepy and weird oh yeah yeah Yeah. yeah. i used to kind of
2: assume that he was like a dlc
0: thing or something like i thought that they just hadn't implemented
2: what they wanted to with
0: him but easily my favorite like like lore touch in the entirety of the game is the, the way that they the game made use for just one moment in really important ways. Lord Touched sounds like a like a bespoke
1: Monster Energy drink <laughs> based on Game Fuel, mm-hmm. where you it comes in like a uh, like a tall ten ounce can that's really thin, mm-hmm. has like all like matte black. It's flavored like pomegranate or something. <laughs> Shut <laughs> up, <laughs>
0: Game Fuel Lord Touch. Whatever, <laughs> I like it, but uh the, the way that they're like and they only do this once which made it so impactful uh, where most of the time they'll be like just like tiny little narrative quips if you check the hunter's journal mm-hmm. like to read up information about the things that you fight it's not nearly as rewarding I say
1: mm-hmm but I didn't ever do that uh-huh. but yeah <laughs> yeah
0: but yeah you kill the black things uh, in the abyss mm-hmm. and okay. they're siblings that is the name of that enemy siblings <laughs> and See? it's so good so good yeah
1: yeah, this game is inherently creepy in like a lot of ways. It's it's
2: got that quality where it like slowly waves over you, which is what makes it so effective. Yes, right.
1: It is the the anti Earthbound. It's not like a, a like a neck breaking <laughs> well, like total I would say whiplash. It's, it's
2: exactly like Earthbound, where like there's like little seeds of it kind of sprinkled in everywhere, and then like it kind of like the realization of like there's creepy shit going on here, kind of like waves over
0: you. Agreed. The first time it truly hit me deeply was when I found the Tower of Love and was like oh, yeah. And trying to figure out like... Like, I literally, because again, Rachel was always with me. So I literally just, like, stopped and was just, like, unplugged my headphones and then just turned around to her and was like, What does this mean? <laughs> <laughs> like, listen to this. It's like some kind of, like, crazy schizophrenic prostitute that I assume is behind this door. It was not a schizophrenic prostitute. No, it wasn't. But uh, it was almost as good, which is fine in my Yeah,
2: book. I found that place as before good. I got the key. And then, like, completely, like, spatially forgot where it was, like, and I was like, where was that? Welcome to a
1: lot of the time I'm playing a Metroidvania game. you have
2: to access it from the Kingdom's Edge area. Like, you can't get to it from City of Tears. So I'm, like, running around City of Tears being like, where the fuck was that (laughs) tower? Or whatever it's called.
0: Yeah. Anyway, while we seem to be on general lore appreciation time, which this game totally deserves... This game, playing through it, started to change my opinion on like the vague lore. What do we even call it? It's not really a trend. The but, vague lore. Yeah, but <laughs> the 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 increasing Dark Souls-esque approach to making your narrative... Environmental
2: storytelling, like Mm. lore and backstory.
0: Yeah, but more specifically than that, not just just any environmental storytelling, but environmental storytelling where the player is actively incentivized to put the pieces together themselves, Mm -hmm. and without outside help, you'll probably never get the full story. Uh, But while you're playing through it, you have a lot of active questions about what's going on that are supposed to propel you forward into further explanation, into being more invested with what's going on. Right. Uh, I'm beginning to get the opinion that that general approach while fantastic in the middle of the experience is becoming increasingly either hard to do effectively or maybe just innately by the style not rewarding to me after the fact like when I was in Hollow Knight going through this stuff I cared so much about what was going on and all the things that that like all the way all the, what these symbols mean who these people are what could happen in the future like, like the possibility space seemed so open because it seemed like this is a game where anything could happen NPCs could die leave change nothing seemed static so everything seemed possible in the same way that a lot of these vague lore games are but now that I know that I have as many of the pieces that I'm going to get for the puzzle I kind of just feel like a lot of the questions that were the driving force behind me playing the game are Hollow. not... Hollow? <laughs> you. I hate you so much. But yes, this is completely correct. The, yeah, but like, not just in the same way that things aren't going to get answers. I feel like there might not have been answers in the first place or that the narrative might just have not been managed fully. I'm, I'm going to let you go first oh, because
1: this probably relates more to the game at hand. Okay.
2: Well, my opinion on that is like I kind of agree... But I feel like it's kind of understandable because doing storytelling in this way is super hard, <laughs> and I think people oftentimes have liked it and like want to do it themselves and don't implement it as well. Like that was one of my biggest problems with Hyperlight Drifter is I think they didn't accomplish it that well. I think this game does a much better job of it.
1: Uh, well, my thing was just in comparison to other games, I feel like I like the way that this game does its what are we, Veglore. Be- veglore. Yeah, uh, that does its veglore. Uh, I like games like this and Inside. Uh, the way that they do this situation where they set up a, a world mm-hmm. and there may not be an answer to everything... And it shouldn't matter because it does such a good job of setting the, the, the tone, like the theme, making the atmosphere feel like a real place. Agreed. And why I actually did, disliked, especially in, in the first Dark Souls when I played it originally, and uh, Hyper Light is a really good example that I forgot about, um, games where there kind of is an answer if you dig far enough. Because I don't like the idea of taking a game that is just not about gathering clues and putting together a narrative and making it about that. I'd much rather be your character's story through the game and what you can glean from what you're, like, given Mm -hmm. is so much more effective.
0: I agree, but I feel like there are ways, narratively, that you expect the stories of the people around you that you're piecing together to intersect with you. And I, I, to illustrate that, the, bi- the biggest example of what I think is like a true narrative hole, like a mismanagement of this game, is the way that Hollow Knight narratively handles the Pale King. Like the king that's supposed to be the guy that comes up. Right. He, he His true absence is never really explained in a way that I found interesting or meaningful. And the way that he is constantly built in the narrative is he appears as if he is a force that you are going to have to oppose or encounter. It seems like a thing that you're going to have to deal with and part of the cause not only of, like, your creation, but the catalyst of huge things that are going on in this world. And I can understand why you'd want to push back on the Dark Souls approach where it seems like you're piecing together ancient stories of ancient people who are doing things. Right. And I can get wanting to push back on that. But this is a game in which I feel like what you were trying to piece together are the narrative forces that you were interacting with, right? Like you were piecing together what the Radiance even was, what it did, and what it right. means, and it paid off when you finally found it. But I feel like there are other things in this game narratively that don't pay off in that same way, like The Pale King, in which it feels like the game is building up to you interacting with this force that has been so often like mentioned and brought up as a thing that you're, that you're going to have to deal with, and then it just doesn't happen,
1: right? I, I think that this is one of the situations where I actually benefit from having not completed the game mm-hmm. because I was I did not have that immense disappointment. Right, right. I just heard about it.
0: Yeah, you, know, you just got the cool parts. You got the, the the vague air connecting structure and all the questions. Like right. uh, when I went through the game and before my post game lore search. I kind of just assumed that the king and the radiance were the same thing, which I hear is kind of a common thing, but it it seems like messy narratively that they ever decided to separate those into opposing forces in the first place in Mm -hmm. all of the background story. It it makes it a lot. It makes the through line of what you're trying to oppose a whole lot muddier in a way that I don't think is necessarily rewarding in a game like this, where you're fighting bosses a lot of the time. Right. Uh, I just had, like I said, it just feels unfinished to me. And that's okay with a game where the amount that they've accomplished is already staggering considering their resources. Mm -hmm. But I, I do think there's room for narrative improvement. And I'm worried that it might be inherent to this like vague lore story structure. Because this is kind of the same way that I felt at the end of Dark Souls 3. Okay. Mm. Uh, for a lot of the same reasons, where I feel like there's lots of pieces, but a lot of pieces don't make sense with each other. Like in, in Hollow Knight specifically, if the, if the Pale King was trying to make everyone forget about what the Radiance was, why are there fucking images of the Radiance literally everywhere? Why is it on every gravestone, every stained glass window? Right. Like there's lots of little stuff like that that I feel like the real explanation for why they're there isn't in character. It's out of character. It's because they're right. making a game and so, right.
2: yeah. What I was saying before was it's really hard to do this kind of storytelling well. And I feel like one of the things that at least for me really makes it work with like Dark Souls is the community. The fact that the game is so popular and there's so many people talking about it. So if, like, you're in a kick where you're like, oh, yeah, this all, all this is really interesting, you're speculating about it, you can jump online and you can find a million other people talking about the same shit. And, like, that's a really satisfying experience because it feels like people working together to kind of, like, figure this out. And it's, like, it scratches that, that itch that you
1: have to, like gain more insight into it. Yeah. Not to mention things like the message system are kind of like the uh like the push pins. Like this seems important, so people will like say like, look at this, like remember this place? Mm-hmm. Right. Shit like that. Hell yeah, so, and has nothing like that. I say, yeah,
2: it might be just almost impossible to do that with an indie game, like in the same way. And the other thing was in the lore video that I watched, so take this with a grain of salt, some guy said this on the internet. Yeah. Uh, I did not fact check him. Unlike us. Just yeah. accept everything we say yeah, is fact. Yeah, but facts. when mm-hmm. I say it, it'll be true <laughs> uh, right now. But That's how facts apparently... work. We're offering
1: our services for $50 yeah. per fact check.
2: <laughs> <laughs> But when they were designing this game, apparently they just came up with like, cool ideas for bosses and like concepts for things that they just like thought were interesting and then went in and looked at what they had and came up with the lore from there so it wasn't like a complete like narrative or backstory
0: from the start it was kind of like filled in as they went along and that is the approach that almost every game designer should take in my opinion like you could always Lore is flexible. This is a lot of thing that, that people, especially when you get into the minutia of these kind of discussions, fail to really appreciate. You can make the flavor of any mechanic set. You can bend that really far. You can make mechan- You can you can link mechanics to ideas in ways that players will accept just because of how they're presented, really easily. Uh, but it's very hard to go in reverse. It's, it's very hard to constantly fit mechanics to lore repeatedly over and over again. Uh, and I, I think it's like, especially considering their resources, responsible of them to put the game first in a way that that made the core moment-to-moment experience rewarding and then attempt to, you know, be creative and use what they had to build off of that. Like, I, I think this is generally the right approach to go about it. Uh, I'm just kind of sad that they couldn't like I felt like there were there are ways they could have made things fit together artistically that would have felt more rewarding to me at the end that they didn't for one reason or another. That's all. And I'm, I really want in the future for games that attempt to be this vague, to, I want other people to think about it for a longer period of time and <laughs> give back to me about whether or not it's possible to make games that are vague like this uh, that can still be a rewarding experience after the fact. Because there's a difference, right? Like Dark Souls Three still had that huge community. Yeah, but that is that is true. Yeah, and I I just don't know like what's the difference, right? Like what really matters. In, the, in your ability to piece things together. Because players will go real far to piece things together. See, so like, I feel like this is probably
1: an unfair comparison, all things considered, because even if players do go really far to piece together the lore of Dark Souls games, the lore of Dark Souls games has, like, shifted pretty dramatically over the course of time. Hollow Knight's an individual, like, one point in its own timeline. So... I guarantee you there are people out there who are trying to figure stuff out, but if a word comes down from on high saying, like, we mostly just sort of pick things to fit what we had mechanically, a lot of those people are going to give up. Yeah. So I think that's probably what happened here, is that it just wasn't uh, incentivized. Yeah. yeah. And, like... Which I think I is think a good thing. Dark basically. Souls
2: is like a unique case because I think like Miyazaki and his team that like come up with the stories for those games are just like the best at it. Like they're they're <laughs> they're really good at like building a narrative to be vague and incomplete like that from the start. And I think it works in like Dark like Demon's Souls, Dark Souls and Bloodborne really well, but mm-hmm. not so much Dark Souls three. And I think the reason for that specifically is because it kind of collapsed under its own weight. Like they had, felt like they had to tie up loose ends and bring in stuff that referenced the first game and the second game begrudgingly, um, <laughs> and like you know, and they had it had to do its own thing. I think it just became too bloated
1: to yeah. manage well. To uh, the charitable reading of it, I think is that they wrote Dark Souls Three as a love letter to the franchise, as yeah. opposed to uh, the way that it was created originally. As uh, like they had written all this stuff in in order to create a depth for a game that was in, in itself <clears throat> like whole, mm-hmm. uh, and Hollow Knight was written f- from a game that was whole, and then they just stuffed some stuff in it to make it, it successfully like yeah. that. That would be de- like demeaning to it,
0: yeah.
1: uh, just to make the game feel more
0: tonally alive. I'd also like to distinguish here between our discussions of the lore and the writing, because the writing in this game is no business being as good as it is. Like, I I was constantly shocked. Like, they're frickin' considering the job that I work, like, I had to keep googling what words mean like i haven't done that since i had to do the gre like that's just not a thing i do i was uh and and the the vocabulary of this game is fantastic the way that it helps set the tone for like this place being like a serious solemn desolate place even though everyone's like these cute little bugs that flick around right uh like i really love the way that this game is written um Mm -hmm. yeah i found myself like
2: reading literally everything we're in a lot of games like this that can get a little text heavy where like characters give like long-winded like speeches like I can kind of mash through it a bit mm-hmm. but I did not do that with this game which I think is a testament to its writing
0: indeed
1: I think we're running up kind of on the on the long side at this point mm-hmm. uh, so uh, what, what what do we have that's like important to go over
0: oh god I have so many tiny silly things uh... we've like
2: mentioned the art like do we want to say anything specific about it or just other than it's really great
1: <laughs> <laughs> it is really great because uh you made the somewhat well entirely but i'm trying to be charitable uh incorrect distinction of saying that it was like pixel based when it is like a draw in the style uh the the fact that it is makes this so glorious in so many ways. <laughs> yeah. Because uh, things... Um, how do I describe it? the The way that... One of the things I was very impressed about, now, not mechanically so much, but the enemy variety in this game I thought was, like, visually was really good. I thought that, uh, like, from one area to another you're finding these things that are differently unique. Like, they have... Uh, it's not just like these are the forest variety of the city enemies. It's their, everything was like acted and behaved and looked vastly differently. And I thought that the, the style that this game has, like the way that everything is uh, actually designed, is things kept being more than you would expect them to, and it never stopped being interesting to me. So, like, the, like, early on, the charging, like, bush enemies that Mm. were just, like, one little dude, (laughs) um, the, like, worms that sit around and do nothing but then, like, have big pincers that come up and, Mm. like, thrash at you. It's all, it's all just, like, glorious and good. I don't know what those bush enemies are called,
2: but uh, it's, I think it's funny that they're, like, ambushes.
1: (laughs) That is actually really good. Oh my god. And if that isn't the name of them, it (laughs) should be.
2: Ugh. But yeah, no, the game has like an, inc- an incredible like art direction.
1: Like, incredible, a- incredible art direction.
2: Art direction, like the way that like zones like fade in like from one to another is really great, and the way it all has that like cohesive uh, art direction is. It's, yeah, it's fantastic.
0: Color palette's fantastic. Yeah, color palette's
2: good. It the used, character design is pretty
0: great. Used to its best uh, when it constantly contrasts with the dream sequences in the final Radiance fight. Mm-hmm. Like that, that name card that comes up where, like, you know, things are serious yeah. because it's no longer, <laughs> because it's, everything is bright and beautiful now. Like, oof. So good. Even when you get the dream nail, like, the first
1: time, and it, you kind of just go into, like kaleidoscope mode like that was like so jarring and played really well i thought uh, (laughs) like against the like what you basically have been going through before that which was like i don't know i i I keep trying to compare it to something because it kind of reminds me of some stuff but not it's like uh edmund mcmillan by way of Jonan Vasquez <laughs> if that means anything to anyone. We'll find out soon. <laughs> email us with what you think Then We'll send a great job email back. We will. That's
0: a 60 episode long callback. <laughs> <laughs> I want to praise the concept of the Dream Nail in the first place by the way. Good on them for being creative enough to get out of the audio log box. Because that is exactly what the that is exactly the purpose the dream nail serves as a way to get in the head of like living or even not living characters that are around you. Right, mm-hmm. and it's it's great when you because you don't get it immediately you get it later and you feel like you have so much insight into everyone else around you after that point.
2: Yeah, it was one of those things where I didn't really realize you could do it until like way late in the game, so I didn't end up doing it a lot mm-hmm. personally.
0: What if he went to
1: charge the dream nail and he like did the. Like you hold the button and he's like ooh and then he just puts it on a record player and it plays an audio. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the essence symbol it's like, just like a just record. A... <laughs> <laughs>
2: uh, but uh, we brought up the White Palace earlier. Did you want to say your piece on that,
0: J.J.? Oh God, if, uh, yeah. I, I don't know how I could possibly talk about this game and have a podcast about it without also ragging on that until the end of my life. What but... are we talking about next time? <laughs> <laughs> The White Palace will go down in history as my exact example of the kind of platformer design that I do not like. And I'm not saying it's bad. I'm saying it is... It is hard. Pixel perfect. What Like, everything that I hate about hard platformers. Like, contrasting that with Ori is... Ori is is a game with difficult, with somewhat difficult platforming challenges that are made tense and hard for you by the existence of something that forces you to action, whether that be a time constraint, water flooding beneath you, an owl trying to eat you, or something like that. Sure. But there, you have lots of variability in what you can do and a lot of control of what you can do. The White Palace is. Uh, You spend, like, like seven million years standing still (laughs) while planning out what you're going to do and then failing at it 30 times and then doing it once by mostly luck and then moving on to the next thing. The one hallway, (laughs) like, there is literally a hallway in the White Palace that is just buzz saws that you have to stand like pixel perfect between or you die like that's the (laughs) whole challenge is like walk in between the saws and stand there and hope that you know your hitbox well enough that you won't die and that's it (laughs) that's all that's the whole there's no like there's no tension especially if you have like the hive blood charm there's no like resource that you have to change (laughs) that's a must for that Yes, and the high blood <laughs> makes it even worse because you have to take like a 10-second break between every attempt. Yeah. So you just wallow in your <laughs> failure for a little while before going back at it. It's one hundred percent running to the nightmare headstone. But yeah. The freaking high yeah. blood
2: situation in the White Palace. I loved the White Palace. It was a total highlight of the game for me.
0: How? <laughs> How can you love
2: well, like oh nope I didn't I was run well, pixel to the right. Well, silly, to be maybe. fair, you're awful at platformers because <laughs> uh, like Hollow Knight. Does actually offer you a lot of control over your character like you have control over your jump height by like how much you push in the button right. you have the double jump you have the air dash so like there were like a couple little instances where like there were two saw blades you had to jump through that was like stupidly hard <laughs> but like for the most part i thought that was a really well designed platforming gauntlet and i thought it was it was made like like a highlight for me because it's optional end game content like that's the kind of thing that i think the developers realized that like a decent percentage of people who play this game that would be something that they would like enjoy right so i like that they because in the game's not really about the platforming you know yeah so i thought it was nice that they took that in consideration and put like a platforming gauntlet in as like a secret optional area
1: right I feel like your point about JJ being bad at platforming is accurate. I also <laughs> know that down. you are generally more patient than I am. So I feel like... Because what I, I, think I saw you would was somebody who edited together a run where they didn't die. Because they didn't want to spend... Uh, 30 minutes of a video standing between saw blades, mm-hmm. presumably. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I get the impression from it that I would have put a controller through a wall. 100%. Like, at some point. <laughs> it
2: wasn't that bad.
0: You know how
1: patient
2: I
0: mean, yeah, I mean, because I didn't do
2: it, so it's yeah. possible that like, I would have just breezed I mean, it. it is it is very challenging, but, like, it is totally doable. Like, it's not that bad. One pixel. You have one pixel. That's, that's, that's a, such an exaggeration. <laughs> no, it's not. Yes, it is. <laughs> 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 I don't know. Like that. Like that is not even close to like a go-to example in my mind for like
0: pixel-perfect platforming. We'll see what history says about this. <laughs> but also, hot take of what you said before, Andy. I don't think the White Palace is optional content because you don't need to do any of that I, to beat the game. I, I know you don't need to, do it to see the credits. But I don't think it's optional because I don't think trying beating this game without beating or experiencing at the very least, maybe not beating, but experiencing the radiance. Mm. I think beating this game without seeing the radiance would not be a true end of the game. Well, I
2: mean, sure, like, but that's it's all up to like it's the way the game's designed. It's all up
0: to the player. No, no, no but not like I'm not speaking like. <laughs> I mean, like you have you the option artistically.
2: And- yeah, yeah. yeah. I, think, and I think it's up to the player whether or not they care about that. But they may
0: not even know. Right? Yeah, that's that's fair, yeah. Like, you get to the end. I feel like Hollow Knight is a boss that has to be easy enough that you can get through it every time to get to the Radiance and uh, beatable with a wide and diverse range of abilities that you don't have because mm-hmm. of the way that this game is designed as it's that open. So it was under a lot of restrictions, but it's still a lot easier than a lot of other challenges that you go through. I think that most players will go through by the end of the game. And I feel like just having the Hollow Knight by itself being the ending note of the experience would not be satisfying.
2: Well, they could have alternatively designed the boss to be harder and then put a checkpoint after him so you didn't have to fight him over and over again. I kind
0: of like that decision, but I don't...
2: I like. So, like, if you wanted to just beat the Hollow Knight and that'd be it, it's, like, a more...
1: Uh, Correct me if I'm wrong... <clears throat> Sorry. Mm-hmm. Correct me if I'm wrong, but in order to get to the Radiance, you have to, like, go inside the Hollow Knight. Yeah. I feel like there... I don't think that there's a way to thematically leave his pull off... You corpse
2: there, and then you just whack the corpse with the Dream
1: Nail. I guess. I was. Saying, it feels like it would be so thematically less. It's way cooler the way it is. Right. Like, very much. Like I'll agree to that. And they the...
0: probably had arguments about this while they were making. The yeah. Game. <laughs> One of the ways that I like why it's set up currently is it feels like because they nailed for that sequence for the pre radiance <laughs> sequence. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> what? I'm sorry. You said he nailed l- <laughs> like I raised my yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like like that. Yeah. It took me a second to realize oh, what Jesus. he was referring. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, yeah they, I feel like they nailed the difficulty of the Hollow Knight as a pre-Radiance boss, I feel like it is exactly as yeah. challenging as I want it to be, which makes it feel to me like the perfect version of the run challenge back to the boss arena in, like, a Dark Souls game. Right, the part that sucks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it feels like the absolute best version of that, like, slow build-up to the hard thing, mm-hmm. which is why I, I wouldn't want it to yeah. be absent. But I can totally see an argument for why you yeah. should have a checkpoint. And,
2: like, for somebody who's just going to, like, beat the Hollow Knight and be done with the game, like, they're probably at, like, lower health and, like, not nearly as, like, <laughs> overpowered in the Hollow Knight will be harder for them.
1: Yeah. yeah.
0: It, it depends. I, guess well, I, mean, I, I wish And I that's a
1: Metroidvania even. problem, too. Yeah, yeah. Like, look at the... We talked about the, old the old Metroid... Old well, yeah. <laughs> we talked about the Metroid Prime in that episode, where it's like, remember when he does that charge move and no one has ever in a million years gotten <laughs> hit by it? It's like, because the person playing might have 40 health and 25 missiles. Like, mm-hmm. you just have to... Be, like, you can't let the player get completely walled off by something. Just because they didn't
0: find your weird shit, like hidden wall thing. Yeah, it's an interesting challenge. I think, that, and they did take measures because in this game to mitigate that classic Metroidvania problem. Because the difference of a, between a perfect character and a first level character is like, yeah, it's barely. It's it's the difference in, in, in any other game between like a first level character and a third level character. You just don't gain that much. Yeah, from 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 exploration and. But, Yeah, but either way, I I just, my only takeaway from this is that I strongly believe that the Radiance is like the capstone of the experience of this game, and I would be like straight up sad if I had missed it. (laughs) Yeah. I
1: also kind of get the impression that the majority of people who are going to reach that, reach the end of the game, like reach Hollow Knight, Mm -hmm. likely are going to, at the very least, want to finish Radiance, because the game itself is... Like, it is a game that is self-proclaimed as, like, a difficult game. Yeah. And not everyone who starts those games gets to the end of them. Yeah. I think if you do, then you're obviously dedicated enough to want to take on the optional thing.
0: Yeah.
1: Allah The Moon
0: Presence. A The Moon mm. Presence. Blessed be its name. <laughs> <laughs> do we have final thoughts? I don't feel like I have accented well enough how well... The mid-game of Hollow Knight really like got to me personally and emotionally, uh, because you know it's it we're talking we're talking about criticism here we're we're discussing everything we can about what the game does what it's trying to do and its successes and failures but it succeeded so hard during the middle exploration stages which are the most important stage in any Metroidvania game uh, that like there was there is one specific sequence where like I unlocked the door to find this elevator all the way up to the singer and the singer has no purpose other than just to to sit there and sing and it was like like it really got to me in a very deep and personal way considering the context of the lore and the narrative around around that circumstance uh that in a way that few games i have played generally and even few on the cast have like this is this is truly special and while it's not one of my favorite games ever it is a game I would recommend to anyone interested in the genre and is like just laughable at the price. Like if you if you get this thing for $10 and on sale, like you should just be over the moon. This is I, I would paid 80 bucks for this game and then I got it for 15. It's, By nearly every
1: metric, the pr- the asking price of this game is like ludicrously low.
2: Yeah, it's like it's always on sale.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, is if, if you are somebody who needs like a lot of game for your money it has that if you're just looking for a well designed indie game it is one of those uh, <laughs> if you like playing video games because you played video games on the NES when you were four years old and they were really hard then uh, this game is also hard and <laughs> will make you think back to the days when you didn't know what the fuck you were doing
0: Hollow Knight will make you look back on your childhood with shame exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always good for this.
1: Yeah.
2: Now I really, really liked this game. Like I expected, I would enjoy it because I'm usually good at being able to tell if I'm gonna like a thing. Uh, but I, I liked this way more than I expected to. Like it really delivered. Um, like the the quality of the game, like just did not cease to keep impressing me throughout the whole playthrough. And like yeah, like the scope and everything. Like this is it's it's really impressive like um and like jj said it's not one of my favorite games but i would also recommend it to anybody like it's just really unique there's not no other indie game quite
1: like it in my opinion and i think that is the that is the message that you should take from this podcast, as my opinion on this game is going to be by far the most irrelevant. Uh, this game didn't click with me. Uh, very few games that, like, rely on challenge, um, for, like, their main mechanics really do. Uh, and this is one of those games that I just never was able to, like, gather the will to want to actually get that much better at. Mm-hmm. Um... So, yeah, uh, I also was very impressed by the general, like, quality of every little thing that was in the game, from the artwork to the world design. Every bit of it seemed unique and interesting, and that is ultimately why I think this game is really good, but just not for someone like me, I think.
0: Don't be like Chad. (laughs) (laughs) I recommend not being like Jed. Get as well. good instead. <laughs> Learn from the mistakes of those you deem inferior. Uh, thank you
1: for listening to NoClip this week. What are we talking about next time? Uh, next time we're going to be talking about. Uh, this is going to be a difficult name to say with a cold. Oh god! Uh, Monster Hunter World. A lot of R's in that. That I wanted to sort of like. Uh, <laughs> 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 uh, which uh, I don't know I've played a little bit of it <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> mm.
0: uh, still
1: mm. playing it monster in the world <laughs> uh, until next time you can get a hold of us all of our contact information is at noclippodcast.com uh, or at splattershot.pro there you can find email address our twitter account uh, find all of our old episodes. Uh, if you're a big fan of Metroidvanias, we've done episodes on Ori, Metroid Fusion, Metroid Prime. Do we do any other Metroidvanias? Who
0: cares? I don't think so. <laughs> uh, find out for yourself. Explore yeah. the environment that is our episode <laughs> list. It's a very carefully crafted
1: environment, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, which we will talk about carefully crafted environments next time on the Monster Hunter World episode uh <clears throat> see you guys
0: later <laughs> Are you gonna keep in that little <clears throat> <laughs> like is that gonna
1: <clears throat> for some reason all video game related paraphernalia is like just, like, some shitty, glowy, mm. like, not even future, future te- It's like light-up sneakers for adults. <laughs> yeah. Like, look light- at my fucking graphics card. It has a stupid blue light on it. Like, I don't care. I don't <laughs> want my graphics card to light up. I don't even want to acknowledge that it exists.
0: Why don't you want to acknowledge the existence of your graphics card?
1: It's just, like... Cause it's a com- it's a computer component. It's literally the most boring thing. <laughs> <laughs> like some rice on it? the ground in the desert <laughs> might be slightly more boring, but then you even have to think like, oh, how did it get there? Mm-hmm. You assume a computer is a graphics card. I don't also need my graphics card to shine a blue light on my room, mm-hmm. but I bought it because it was a cheap option that was good, mm-hmm. and that's how I ended up with the light of headphones as well. And this is why I hate video games. <laughs> <laughs>